Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the podcast, Three Sides, with me, Aaron McLeod, where we will talk about all things that fall under the umbrellas of high performance, passion, and equality. So today's episode will be the first episode with Dr. Rachel Linval. We are so extremely lucky to have her. Uh, she said that she would be on this show once a month, so watch out, everybody. She is the other co-founder of The Mindful Project. She is a total boss and someone I am so honored to work with. She has an incredibly long resume, so I will try to summarize it as much as I possibly can. She is a university professor and women's soccer coach and has a doctorate in mindfulness research. I love reading her research. We geek out about it together all the time. She holds a master's degree in exercise science with an emphasis in sports psychology and a bachelor's in physical education with an emphasis in athletic training. This is really cool. In January of 2009, Rachel was named a presidential scholar in recognition for her service to society and dedication to intellectual growth. She also brings decades of experience as a certified mental coach and mental skills consultant for university sports teams since 2010. She is also a NATABOC certified athletic trainer and has been since 2000. She has spent over two decades coaching collegiate women's soccer at the NCAA and NAI levels across the United States. She has an extreme passion for empowering students uh, of all ages, me included. She aims to make mindfulness an approachable, accessible tool that people can use to become the best version of themselves. So I'm so extremely honored and lucky, fortunate to have Rachel with us today. Rachel, I'm so glad to have you on. Uh, you're honestly, your resume is unbelievable. Uh, also, considering how young you are, it's so wonderful to work with you all the time. I get to pick your brain as we talk about all the time. We're uh, glorified geeks, really. Um, and I feel just, yeah, lucky to be able to connect with you on that level. But also as a friend, you know, we've been through we've been through some times together. So I'm just going to dive right in as your doctorate is in mindfulness research, which I think is fantastic and has added obviously so much to the mindful project. But I think sometimes mindfulness can be a little bit intimidating because it's kind of like, what is it? So I'm just going to ask you straight up, um, how would you define mindfulness and what does that kind of look like for you in your day to day? Yeah, and I think you're so right in saying that it's kind of ambiguous because especially it's been increased in popularity. So it's kind of like this word that people feel like they should know what it is, but then like, what is it? So kind of the, the true definition of it is paying attention on purpose in the present moment in a non-judgmental way. But like, what does that mean? <laughs> right. So it, it, <laughs> I'm like, so what you're saying is yeah, yeah. like, that doesn't necessarily make it better. <clears throat> but what it is, is essentially just being aware and it's being aware of what's going on around us and then also what's going on inside of us. And it's really about it's appreciating the present moment. It's, it's keeping our brains uh, in the now. And that doesn't mean that we don't intentionally 
think about the future as far as learning from mistakes. It doesn't mean we don't intentionally plan for the future because those things are important, but it's all about intentionality. And that's the whole thing of saying paying attention on purpose. Like it's not just zoning out in the present moment. It's intentionally being in the present moment. It's being intentionally engaged. I think we, we all have had those moments to where we feel that intentional engagement and we, we know the difference. Right, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's in our job or whatever it is, that that intentional engagement really makes all the difference in how we feel and in our productivity and how others feel around us. And so, a second part of your question, kind of the how does it impact my day-to-day life? I mean, I practiced mindfulness without realizing it before. Um, I, I did my doctoral research, but it wasn't in the intentional way. It was like, oh, I, I look back and say, oh, I used to do this. I didn't know it was mindfulness. But now it's a part of my everyday. You know, I start the day with uh, breathing exercises and I end the day with breathing exercises before I go to bed at night. And with those, just really noticing, you know, how does my body feel and noticing where my brain is trying to go, you know, and like bringing it back to you know, to my breath. And that's been a very centering thing for me. And I think also just being able to catch my brain when it's not in the present, you know, that's been a huge, huge thing has been actually just being more aware of where my brain likes to run off to that isn't necessarily always helpful. So I would say those are the the biggest things that have come to my day-to-day life um, from mindfulness. Like, how do you catch yourself when, you know, when you're kind of, your mind starts going and you're kind of like, I call it like the Instagram rabbit hole, you know, when you've been like watching Instagram for like 30 minutes and you're like, can't stop. And then you catch yourself. And I feel like it's the same way with, with thoughts, you know, you're like, how do you, like, what are your triggers? I guess, like, how do you know that you're not in the present? How do you catch yourself and how do you bring yourself back? Yeah. So I think it's like anything, the more you practice it, the easier it becomes. So I would say, as far as how do I catch myself, I think it's just that working to be more aware of where my brain is at. And the same thing, you know, you're talking about the Instagram rabbit hole, like you go all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? (laughs) Right? Like you realize, like, how long (laughs) have I been doing this? You know, how long have I been scrolling? And I think it's that that same thing with, with our brains as I realize all of a sudden, like, you know, I was in, I was trying to work on this thing. And all of a sudden I realized my brain is you know, somewhere else or like 14 steps ahead. And so I think it's just trying to be aware of, of, you know, what I'm doing. And then when my brain is somewhere else, it's the self-compassion piece is huge because I could be like, oh my gosh, how much time have I wasted? But instead it's saying like, oh, I caught myself good, you know, bring myself back to this moment. And with the mindful project, we talk a lot about, we choose where we put our attention. It's not about stopping thoughts. It's about choosing where we put our attention. And so I, I kind of remind myself of that, especially if it's something that's stressful that's taking my brain away. I remind myself that I'm choosing to put my attention into something productive, right? Whatever it is I'm doing in that moment. And sometimes that's changing what I'm doing in the moment. You know, maybe maybe I need to change the activity or work on something else for a while. And that's going to, you know, help me stay in the present moment more. Maybe something I'm doing is triggering those those stress responses or those ruminating thoughts or whatever. Um, and so for me, it's just about the more, I feel like the more I do it, you know, the better I become just like with anything. Right. No, I totally agree with that. But I think like what really was wonderful and I think resonated with me is when we started working together, like your mention of the attention box. So can you kind of go into detail of that? Because what I, 
what I know is I'm an overthinker and I know there's probably going to be a lot of overthinkers listening to this. And I know I've had a habit myself of like being, getting upset with myself for like, oh, like I'm always thinking and I, you know, like realizing that I'm not in control of my thoughts was like this huge epiphany. So can you, can you go into, you know, thoughts and attention box and, and what that means? Cause it's also a really big part of the mindful project. Right. So the attention box is actually something I came up with through my research uh, on mindfulness, because with mindfulness, the whole being in the present moment, there's all this research that says how much it can help so many different things. Right. And so, you know, it can help our productivity. It can help our performance. It can reduce stress and anxiety and pain and so many amazing things. But I am, you know, being the geek that I am that, you know, I was like, okay, but why? Right. Like I don't I don't take things at surface level. So if all of these studies are saying that it makes such a big difference, why? So I took that research even deeper and uh, into the research on our attention. And so research actually says that we have a limited amount of attention. And so with that limited amount of attention, so often we think the more we do or the more we multitask, then the more attention we have. But research says that's not actually true. So I kind of have broken it down to what I call the attention box. So I use like a rectangle and say that that's the amount of attention we have. And I'll often equate it to birthday money, right? If you get $50 for your birthday, that's your birthday money, right? Like you can decide where you spend it. You could spend it all in one place. You could, you know, divide it up, but that's what you have. And that's the same as our attention. And so if you think about, you know, what we do with our thoughts, research shows that we spend 30% of our thought in the past, 60% of our thought in the future, and only 10% in the present moment, right? And so if we really think about our limited amount of attention with that attention box, whatever it is we're doing, if we are thinking about other things or trying to do multiple things at once, then that attention gets divided, leaving a very small amount for what we're trying to do in the present moment. And a lot of times this leads to a lack of success. And then we think, oh, I just suck at this, or, oh, I'm not very good at this, or I'm never going to get this. Well, how good are you going to be at anything if you really are, are trying to improve at it, but giving it a really small amount of your time and attention. And so that's where I think that understanding that what I call the attention box is so important because it helps you understand how mindfulness actually works and how it can actually help you improve quality of life and learning and growth and development. And so many things. Yeah, no, I absolutely love the attention box. And we, you know, every time we do that activity with some of our clients, it's, it's really, it's helped me so much. I know because you really are just breaking down like, okay, what am I actually thinking when I'm going through this process, especially things towards we like things we want to improve or we are insecure about. And I know that when I step up to a ball and I'm working on something, for example, in soccer, like I do have like a million things on my mind. So the attention box has really helped me just kind of you know, break it down. And I think that's what I love about mindfulness. Uh, you know, really at its root, it's just like a focus practice. And it's really just focusing on some, just one thing at a time. But I think that has required for me anyway, like a lot of, of practice. And I think, and this is something you talk about all the time, because in order to like start noticing like your thoughts and like where you're going to put them, you, you have to notice your thoughts. And we had like this kick-ass conversation the other day about awareness and like the moment where you actually start being aware of like that inner monologue, the voice in your head. And then that moment where you realize actually you, you can have a huge impact 
or, you know, you can totally be in control of the voice in your head, but it obviously takes practice. So for, for me, I guess the question is like, when did you become aware of the Rachel voice? And um, when did you start, you know, working towards making it a voice in your head, assuming that maybe it wasn't perfect, you know, uh, a voice that works for you? You know, I, I feel like I had this huge advantage starting in life because I had these super positive parents. Like my mom used to make up like positive songs about me. Like as a toddler, like I had, still have these songs in my head, right? And really? That's like, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I know you really want me to sing it right now. Do but, you? Do you have an example right now? <laughs> <laughs> Rachel is special. Rachel is special. Yep. Yes, okay. I love yes, it. Is. There we go. Yeah. It's stuck in my head forever. Did you participate? Right? Were you like singing the second verse or? <laughs> It was just you? I feel like I would you? just listen, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <laughs> I didn't sorry, have, like, sorry. an yeah. routine yet, you know? <laughs> I hadn't hit that stage of my life. But, oh, that would be but no, fantastic. like, I had these super positive parents, and, like, they were all about, you know, turning lemons into lemonade. And so I had this, like, really, I don't really feel like I had a negative voice in my head until I hit high school. And it was actually really related to sports, actually, because I loved sports and was actually quite good at them. And kind of dominated because I was, you know, coordinated sooner than other kids. I was bigger than other kids, which gives you a huge advantage when you're younger, right? And you just think, oh, I'm just really good. And then you get to high school and all of a sudden, you know, whoa, <laughs> there's other talents out there. There's other, you know, everybody's like bigger and <laughs> right. like more coordinated. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And that's when I started second guessing myself because everything wasn't coming easy, you know, when it came to sports. And so I started second guessing myself and feeling like I needed to start berating myself for my mistakes in order to get better, you know? And so it was not, a, I didn't have negative self-talk outside of sport. It was really specific to sport and just feeling like I wanted to get better and I wanted to be the best. And so as I think a lot of high performers experience, feeling like you have to be mentally hard on yourself to be able to improve. You know, you feel like that's what you're supposed to do. And so that carried into, you know, college athletics and I would battle, like, I think in college athletics, I started to realize I needed to be more positive myself, but I still battled with those, you know, how much do I need to be hard on myself versus be positive with myself? Cause you know, I had this wrestle, which caused for a lot of, you know, that attention box being split. Um, and then it was actually after I was done with college and I started coaching that I really realized that that stuff wasn't helping me. And I think it probably from watching my players who were negative with themselves and seeing from the outside how it was negatively impacting them and me telling them to be positive with themselves helped me really realize, oh man, like this was really negatively impacting me and I didn't realize it. Like how much better could I have been? I mean, maybe I could have been Aaron McLeod, you know, if I had been... <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just ending at a college career, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> but I think that's really when I realized it was seeing it from the outside and having that more objective perspective. And that really changed things for me. Yeah, th no, I mean, I think even as we do this, it's funny because th the research that you've shown me throughout, you know, like we met, when did we meet? 2017, I think. 17, yeah. 2017. So, you know, when we first met, you showed me all this research. And I think the thing that resonated with me the most, because I've also been really hard on myself and we had this like, I don't know, the negative, uh, I don't know, the way we deal with mistakes in our society is like, they're, they're the worst thing in the world. But um, when you talked about the research and being hard on yourself and the, and how it doesn't actually help your learning, like, can you go into that? Because I think that's probably like one of the most significant things I've, I've learned from you. Yeah. 
Yeah, research shows that uh, being negative in ourselves, actually, it, it doesn't help us learn any better, and that actually hinders uh, learning and improvement. And uh, a lot of times people kind of struggle to understand this, but I, I liken it to watching a player on the field. And, you know, let's say soccer, obviously, and, you know, the game's going on, and let's say a forward, you know, takes a shot and the goalkeeper saves it. Well, if they take time to just be like, oh, man, I missed that shot – you know, or they're not recovering or they're not playing. I mean, everyone from the sideline is saying like, keep playing, get back in the game. Right. And so it's kind of that same thing in our brains. It's like stopping to berate ourselves and to be negative with ourselves. It's literally just wasting our time versus being able to objectively look at a mistake and say, what do I need to fix? Cause it's not about not evaluating mistakes, but it's saying like, okay, what did I do? What can I fix? Boom. Let's move on. Right. I mean, like we criticize people on the field for stopping and berating themselves or hanging their heads because it's, we want them to keep playing. Right. But yet we do it in our head. Right. So, so I think that that's kind of the biggest thing that research shows that being positive with ourselves actually helps us be able to objectively evaluate mistake, improve faster, and then be able to actually, you know, keep going versus taking that time, wasting that time. Um, there's this kind of this crazy study on uh, salespeople, actually, it's not sports related, but they had people that, you know, through research, they determined people that spoke negatively to themselves and people that spoke positively to themselves. And they sent them out, you know, to, and they were all salespeople. So they all had the same experience, all these things. Right. Okay. And they sent 50 out, you know, that were the positive thinkers and 50 out that were the negative thinkers. And just to see like, you know, how many sales they made that day. And the positive thinkers made significantly more sales than the negative thinkers. Now you could, you know, maybe you could say there's a million reasons for that, but they're, they were basically saying that if a negative or a positive thinker gets a no, they're more quickly to be able to go, okay, I'm going to go on to the next sale versus a negative thinker might be like, oh man, why didn't I make that sale? And like, you take time to be down on yourself and then you're not you know, mentally ready for that next sale, you're still, it's, it's like in goalkeeping, right? If the ball goes in the net and you're thinking about the ball being in the net, you're not going to make the next save because you're thinking about the ball being in the net, right? It's kind of that same concept. So as we've talked about before, where we put our attention is huge. And that goes with this positive and negative thinking about mistakes as well. We all get caught with like rumination or, you know, getting, thinking about what we did wrong or that past thing. And, you know, all back to your attention blocks, like let's get so, those thoughts into the present moment. And um, I think especially as well, like, you know, speaking to the research about being hard on yourself, I think if there's adults uh, or parents listening or coaches listening, you know, it's, it's the same thing. And I've, you know, I've been playing forever. Right. And so I know that there's been some coaches and they call it like old school, you know, where they just light you up they're screaming at you if you make a mistake but um you know that obviously is not like the most conducive environment for for learning but but similarly so getting back to like okay how do you start um if you are hard on yourself if your self-talk after you make a mistake is you know pretty unforgiving like where do you start like i you've talked about you talk about noting all the time and and i know for me you know and through learning with you is a lot of times I'll sit there and start like just even noting thoughts period. Like, is that, is that the starting point where you can start kind of shifting those percentages and shifting that self-talk? Yeah, absolutely. Because if we don't recognize it, we can't fix it. Right. So noticing what we're saying to ourselves and, you know, something you always talk about is the, you know, imagine yourself talking to your five-year-old self, 
right? Like, how would you speak to your five-year-old self? And and it's kind of like we generally would be more positive with our five-year-old self, but we're brutal to ourselves so often, right? And so I think really noting, um, you know, if we catch ourselves doing that, there's also that self-compassion piece. It's not about now being negative on ourselves about being negative, right? right then we just right. get in this crazy cycle. Um, but yeah, noting is the first step because if we can't notice that we're doing it, we can't fix it. So noticing it and then making it constructive. So maybe if you're saying like, um, I'm never going to get this, you change it to, I just haven't gotten this yet right? It's, it's just very small tweaks, like yet is a, is a huge addition to the conversation that I think is a really great starting point for either athletes or even coaches talking to their athletes, like, hey, you just haven't gotten it yet. Because then that shows that belief in yourself or that belief in your athlete or your kid or whoever you're working with that says, I believe you can get it. You're just not there yet. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I definitely think language is it's massive on a, on a lot of levels, but, um, and I think obviously the voice in our head, like it's something that I'm still working on 38 years old. I'm still playing and, um, and I, I'm getting better at not, um, just focusing on, you know, the negatives and the mistakes and it's taken a lot of work. And I think the more that we work together, the more I realize like, it's, it's not necessarily about like learning a lot of times at my age, it's, it's more about like unlearning these habits that I've kind of just picked up along the way. And, um, you know, I know when you start, first started with mindfulness or like getting into your doctorate, you were kind of, you know, you kind of said that you weren't uh, much of a believer and then you kind of started researching more and you're like, oh my God, this is like magical. So I guess for me, my last question on mindfulness is, is for you, like, and this can be as general or as specific as you want. How do you feel mindfulness has changed your life? Has it changed your life? Yeah, it's a hundred percent has changed my life. And, and uh, yeah, going into this, I felt like, yeah, I wasn't a believer because I was like, okay, I know people have talked about it, but like, <laughs> like, how does it work? You know, I wanted the science behind it. And the more I researched, the more it was irrefutable, you know, I mean, like I, you couldn't, you, you see, you, you know, I spent uh, several years researching it and uh, you just really can't refute the evidence that's there. And so for me, I think it's really helped me not get so attached to thoughts, you know, like, uh, or experiences. I think it's really helped me be more objective in evaluating those. Um, it's made me significantly more efficient because when I was doing my doctoral program, I was also coaching, you know, at the university level, I was teaching at the university level and getting a doctorate and starting the my project with you. Like it was insane. Right. And so, you know, at any one time, my brain could have been 14 different places, but I just really used mindfulness to say like, okay, this is what I'm doing right now. And it really helped me become so much more efficient. Um, and then also just being more aware of my body. Like when I'm stressed, I feel it in my chest and like my chest gets tight and that's helped me be more aware of sometimes when I'm like, man, I'm feeling stressed. Why am I feeling stressed? You know, like to be able to step back and evaluate, um, be more aware in conversations I'm having. You know, if I'm having a, a conversation with that's kind of tense with someone, it like helps me be like, oh man, I'm getting kind of amped up about this you know, to be able to step back, be more objective, take those breaths. Like I use the in for three out before, like all the time because it really works. Yeah, 100%. So I would say that. Yeah. And, and the self-compassion, honestly, like, especially again, going through my doctoral program, doing so many things. Sometimes I would feel like, Oh man, you know, sometimes I would feel like I was sucking at life. And then I would be like, wait a second, <laughs> look at everything you're doing right now. Like you're still alive. <laughs> you're still breathing. You're still getting stuff done. Maybe it's not exactly where you want it to be, but man, this is a lot. Like, just that's okay. 
or if I'm feeling down. I think that's been a huge thing too. Like if I feel like a little depressed, you know, one day or going through, you know, even several days where I'm feeling down and depressed, I used to would have been like, I need to get out of this. I need to like, what do I need to do to like feel better? And now I'm much more compassionate with myself to say like, hey, this is how you feel today and that's okay. Right. And that's made a huge difference. I feel like in for me and just mentally, you know, like you're not carrying this weight of like, okay, I'm struggling with this and I need to not be depressed. (laughs) Right. Like it just giving myself that that self-compassion has been huge as far as like being able to move forward with so many things. So that's probably just scratching the surface of how it's impacted my life. But it's it's been a lot. No, I mean, it's amazing. I'm like writing notes as you go, because there are so many wonderful things. I, I do think like speaking to the efficient part of it is it's so funny because a lot of times when we're trying to work with new clients and they're like, oh, I don't have time for mindfulness. And it's, it's funny because you do a couple of minutes here or there, like three or four times a week, you know, that's basically how you can start off. And, and your efficiency just starts to really go through the roof because you, you get in this habit of practicing your, on your focus, practicing being in the present moment. So when you're actually doing your work, you're more present, you're getting through it quicker because you're right here instead of all these different places. So I think that's the the biggest thing for me. And I I struggle always to find time, but I think as well, like mindfulness doesn't have to be like sitting down for a 45 minute meditation session. And what I've learned from you, it's like you can just be walking to class and looking at the colors of the leaves or feeling the wind, you know, like anything to do with your senses or like you said, your body. And it doesn't have to be this massive thing where you're, you know, you're sitting down and and holding your Buddha beads and, you know, meditating for all day. It it can be these small moments, you know, and like you said, the breathing, like I'm the first time I played a game in a while the other day and I'm just breathing. I'm really nervous, you know, and I'm like feeling my body. I feel stress on my neck and I'm, I'm counting the breath in for three and out for four and I'm in the moment. Thanks for joining Rachel and I on this episode of Three Sides with Erin McLeod. For more information about The Mindful Project and the different programs we offer, go to themindfulproject.us or you can email Rachel directly with any questions at rachel at themindfulproject.us or myself, Erin, at themindfulproject.us. Thank you for your presence and for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.